0: This is Southeast Asia Crossroads, an educational podcast from the Center for Southeast Asian Studies at Northern Illinois University. From music to maps, money and modernity, this is where ideas come to life.
1: And welcome to another edition of Southeast Asia Crossroads. Uh, I'm your host uh, Eric Jones, and uh, with me in uh, studio as as co-host is uh, good friend uh, JC Wong. How's it going?
2: Hi, good. How are you? Thank you for having me here. It's really exciting to see your
1: fancy gears <laughs> <laughs> for
2: the first time after so many you, years. You've really you've been uh,
1: deprived under COVID. If this is fancy <laughs> for you, JC, but uh, sure, yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, Always good. Always good to, always good to, to ha- have you here. Um, and we, of course, joined by our, our special uh, guest, uh, Dr. Jennifer Goodlander. Welcome, Jennifer.
0: Hi. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's really great to get to come to NIU again.
1: Yeah. Um, Jennifer is uh, uh, in the Department of Complet at mm-hmm. Indiana University. Um, yeah, we we is a multiple attendee of uh, NIU and our and it's a it's a good. For, how long have you known? Um, did you guys in, interact in Bali when you were both there? JC and Jennifer. Mm,
0: we actually met through uh, Dr. Han at Kentucky. Oh so yeah. my first job out of uh, graduate school was um, at the University of Kentucky, and of course I got to work with Dr. Han and his gamelan, mm-hmm. and he said you have to meet JC. So. I wonder. I wonder
1: what percentage of gamelan enthusiasts in the United States have been touched by, Dr. Han. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. Everyone will have have a piece (laughs) of him. Yeah, we were just talking about how he is so capable of uh, connecting people together. And um, so, by the way, if you do not know who Dr. Han is, Dr. Han is the person who is solely uh, responsible for creating the Asian music program uh, at NIU, and he's the one who um, uh, developed Southeast Asian music pro- uh, program specifically here for us at NIU. And so ever since him, uh, his time, we, the School of Music and uh, Center for Southeast Asia has had a very, very good um, relationship.
1: And did he, and is, is it Dr. Han who got us both like the Javanese and the Balinese gamelan?
2: Yes, yes, yeah.
1: Yeah, so we're just real, again we're we have an, uh, abundance of wealth here, mm-hmm, uh, embarrassing riches for the uh, the music program, and of course, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Dr. Wong is a successor and uh, is uh, the sort of the flagpole in the mm-hmm. in the world music program. You got some special events coming up here. Oh
2: yeah, thank you for asking. So tomorrow, on November the fifth, um, there will be a huge event. And we put together a very very exciting show that. Uh, focus on the performing arts in Southeast Asia. Um, The reason we put together such a big uh, extravagant show is to celebrate NIU's 125th anniversary, which was supposed to be last year, but because of uh, pandemic, everything got pushed back. And so we're very fortunate that that we now are finally uh, able to realize this huge project with everybody's help. Yeah,
1: course. so much work, and uh, of course we're honored mm-hmm. that uh, kind of a jewel in the crown at NIU that, that the and our music program is featured uh, Southeast Asia as mm-hmm. as uh, part of that 125th uh, celebration. Um, well, we just had a we just had a, a wonderful talk by uh, Jennifer um, on um, women behind the shadows, her journey with puppets and tradition in in Bali. Um, uh, as as I always get asked, tough tough research site. Oh uh, yeah. About, yeah, it's
0: it's hard. Someone's got to do it, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I I always joke with friends like, look, I who were doing you know Slavic studies or whatever. I it's not my fault you made bad choices to study places that you don't want to live at in the winter. Like this, Bali is a place. <laughs> yeah, it's a how how now you and you were there on a Fulbright and and among other uh, visits, right?
0: Yeah, I first started going to Bali in two thousand seven. And the first time I was there, uh, I studied with uh, Sudamani, which is a gamelan and dance group, and they have an amazing summer program um, for three weeks. And it was a fantastic introduction. I actually had gone to Bali expecting to then travel around Indonesia and find a dissertation topic, and I, I had didn't. I decided not to leave Bali and to to focus there. I had been to other parts of Indonesia. I I love them, but uh the role of arts and society in Bali just can't be um can't be compared to.
1: Yeah, it's it's it is kind of a magical place. I think. J- JC, would you uh would you dispute mm. that?
2: Oh well the reason he asked <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I guess um, it's because I take students to study abroad like um, pretty much every year um, but uh, before before the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, so every year we will spend like three three weeks there living together with uh villagers, and then we study their music, dance, and and we actually learn to uh carve puppet. Nice. Yeah, it, it's it's a hard work. It's very very challenging, and giving the time like we have only three weeks, and we have to do that much. And by the end, um, you know, with all those uh, very very complicated uh, process, we can only do like half half mm-hmm. of the the size. But but yeah, it's it's always very rewarding um, to be able to take students um, to this beautiful open lab for music dance religion and all kinds of cultural aspects you know when you are there you're you get to learn get to experience pretty much everything yeah
0: um, i feel very fortunate but i think balinese artists are so generous and um, eager and willing to share their arts and culture with with students and and others i think this is really fortunate mm-hmm. I, don't, I
1: don't think i've ever been to another place where just such a high percentage of the people are performers, musicians, dance—you know, like like it, artists. Like it is, uh, it it must rival almost anywhere in terms of just the the. You can't you know, uh, swing a cat without without you know there's going to be mm-hmm. someone who's uh, a, a Dalong or a mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah artisan of some sort, right? right. It's it's uh, such a high concentration. Um, w- well, uh, Jennifer, I we want to jump into um, you you particularly look at uh sort of behind the shadows, for, maybe for our listeners sure. so who, who might not know. Um, uh, Wayang, Wayang Kulit, what is what is the Wayang in, in Indonesia in a Balinese context?
0: Sure, Wayang Kulit is usually translated as shadow puppetry, and it's thought to be one of the oldest and most important art forms in Indonesia. I believe it was 2006 that Wayang was declared uh, Intangible Cultural Heritage by UNESCO, um, and there's a number of forms of wayang. Wayang kulit is is not the only one. There's wayang golek, which is three dimensional sh- uh, rod puppets, and wayang wong, which are people. Wayang kulitik, which is uh, wooden puppets. But wayang kulit, especially in, in in Bali, is is a unique art form. Um, it's an essential part of Balinese religion, and quite often wayang is is translated as as shadow. Kulit means leather, but I think wayang is a better translation is mirror or reflection, and it really speaks to how. Uh, The art form reflects and articulates lots of different parts of Balinese society. If you have a temple ceremony or many rituals, for example, you have to have a Wayang Kulit performance as part of it in order for it to be efficacious. So the performance is both for the gods, but the, the puppeteer or Dalong is spreading wisdom and speaking for the gods as well. And also because the puppeteer is the one who manipulates the shadows, decides on the story, you know, can kill a character in a battle, but then the next day make that yeah. character come alive again. So the puppeteer is even sort of seen as a type of, of god uh, during the moments of performance.
1: So maybe briefly describe, uh, sort of the, the the kind of the physical space. Yeah. So, so there, there's a there's a there's a a screen made out of made out of what?
0: So the screen is is made out of fabric. It's about six feet. Long and maybe four or five feet in height. A Dalong owns their own screen, and so uh, when a village sponsors a performance, they will build a structure for the screen to be hung in. There is an oil lamp that hangs right in front of the puppeteer's face, and... That is still uses fire uh, to light the screen and to create the shadows. There's four musicians who play uh, an ensemble called a Gender Wayang, uh, and they're like metalophone instruments, and they accompany the performance. Puppeteer usually has two assistants who will help handing off the puppets, making sure that the oil lamp is still lit. If the puppeteer needs water or anything, they will also get that. So they're there to kind of help make sure the performance runs so, smoothly. So that's
1: all on sort of the backstage yeah. side, right, of the screen.
0: Yeah, right? so the audience in, in Balinese kulit sits on the shadow side and watches the shadows projected on the screen. And certainly, like many performance forms in Bali, they don't just sit there quietly and watch – but it's part of a larger event, so people will come and go. Children may play games. They'll eat food. There might be gambling. Um, so it's it's a really kind of boisterous and busy and fun type of festive atmosphere that accompanies the performance.
1: And it's and it's and especially in in, in Bali, it's not just sort of a uh, you know, I'd say a, a dying cultural art form that is only only you know. Uh, performed as a, a kind of rec- recuperative sense, but it, it's actually a pretty actively um, consumed and performed. Is that right?
0: It is. It's a constantly growing and changing tradition. I think, you know, the style of, of performance, uh, emphasis on comedy over philosophy changes, different dalang or puppeteers will be very popular, but a number of, of Balinese scarda- scholars and artists talk about it's such a necessary part of religion. It's not something that's going to die out or disappear. And I think we have this sort of over a hundred year discourse of looking at Traditional arts around Asia and talking about how they're disappearing and dying, and that just seems to not be the on-the-ground mm-hmm. case. I think, like anything, popularity ebbs and flows, but I think that these are these are long-lasting art forms that are they will continue to change. There's more wayang being done on on television and being broadcast on YouTube, for example, but I don't think it's going anywhere. Uh,
1: JC, can I ask maybe? I mean, your your L- literally an expert in this, and some of the sort of like cultural heritage that that vanishing cho- songs and 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 other in especially in in, in Java. Do you mm-hmm. w- do you see contrast to other parts of Indonesia, with with how the art is f- flourishing or not?
2: Mm. Well. Interestingly, because um, I had experience uh, living in um, Bali and in in Jogjakarta, um, I see uh, wayang kulit performance in both places often. And uh, what strikes me the most is that everywhere I go, whenever that is a, a wayang performance, there are always people, mm-hmm. and it's all pe- not just the older people. Um, pe- my, my experience with my own culture is like I know only older people will appreciate the traditional genre of whatever performing arts there are um, but like it, it is really not the case it's at, at least based on my experience in uh, the city of Georgia and um, in, in Bali um, I see um, the old like parents would take their kids they, they, they to um, Wyang performers, and then they somehow will explain to their kids what these are. And so, um, there is this one particular school that I did field work—an elementary school that I did field work. Um, um, when I was there, um, the kids over there—they actually enjoy putting up t- together their own uh, puppet show. So, um, and I can see that out, um on the, um, like spontaneously on their own. They would just play something to get, put something together, and they would just make up a show um, that has something to do, perhaps with uh, the the Wyom performance they went to see l- last night. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so wow. I think um, it it's this kind of uh, it, it's through this kind of a live performance, and then very uh, particular uh, uh, pride the people have toward the uh, they, their uh traditional performing arts um that that keep that kind of uh genre alive still and i don't s- i don't think we need to worry too much about that uh, the the tradition dying out at least based on my 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 uh observation there it doesn't seem that that it because, it you know we 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 actually worry about globalization how 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 you because uh like um internet and um all this hyperlink um Connection that takes children all over the world to probably one particular uh, source of entertainment or one particular source of um, um, something that might end up making Taiwanese soap operas, <laughs> <or> K-pop, <laughs> K-pop that probably will will make them make them all like much alike, right? But I I still feel like in in uh, Bali and in in Java, um, local performing traditions are are considered um, their their pride and it's it's part of their life and so mm-hmm. it's not like you 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 have to keep them in museum um, so that uh, people will still remember that no it's like part of their daily life and so they can easily just
0: um,
2: they breathe breathe through it that kind of um, um, pa- life pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah, and it appears in popular culture. Um, when I was in Indonesia in 2019, I saw the horror film um, Kunti Lanak Dua, it's, uh, the second one installment, and there was this whole long Wayang sequence as part of the movie, and um, there's groups that use hip-hop and Wayang or um, play with it on, on social media or make video games, but it's still... at the heart of that is also then the 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 classical or um put in quote marks traditional type of performances as well so it's just it is yeah it's Mm -hmm. part of the culture and um in so many dynamic ways
1: Mm -hmm. so so how did how did you get involved in um jennifer with the um with wyang uh you were uh uh I liked your story at the of the, the cremation. That was oh a, yes, that was a pretty exciting one.
0: Yeah, so we were in Ubud in two thousand eight, and I was there before going back for my Fulbright to 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 study more Balinese language. But right before we arrived, um, a couple uh, important people at the Ubud Palace had passed away, and there was it was an auspicious time for cremations. So they were going to have a, a an incredibly large cremation. I think it was touted as the largest cremation ever. And we went to go watch the sarcophagi going down the street. And um, I, they were too big as they turned into the graveyard. They were pushing into the audience. And actually, a couple of us got hurt. I ended up in an ambulance. Cool. We went home. But we came back a couple of days later because the sarcophagi were still burning to go see them. And ended up talking with a local Balinese man about why we were there. And he asked, well... What are you doing? And I said, Oh, I'm here to study kasani and budaya an. I want to study arts and culture. And my my partner, um, now wife, uh, exclaimed that uh, she. I also really wanted to study wayang kulit. She had seen uh, when I was at University of Hawaii the shadow puppetry and thought they were especially cool. And he exclaimed that he he knew someone who he could take me to and who would teach me wayang. So. We um, met the next day. I pretty much felt, oh, why do I need to do this? Um, I already know somebody in Sadana, at the university. I don't need to meet another teacher. But one of the things I have learned in doing field work is to say yes to every opportunity, and I'm really, really glad I did. We went and met my teacher, Iwayan Tunjung, and sat and had sweet tea and talked, and he decided that he would teach me Wayang. He would teach me systematically. I would come uh, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I asked about payment. He said he did it for the love of the art. We would figure it out. And so I started learning. I first started learning how to move the Kayonan across the screen and then some of the other characters. And then when I came back for the Fulbright, I continued studying. And I felt so very, very fortunate uh, to have met him and his family who have become close friends. But after studying for a few months, uh, Inyom and Sadana was helping plan the Ubud Arts Festival and had heard that I was doing pretty good in my study of Wayang and said, well, Jennifer should give a performance. And so then it was decided I needed to undergo the ritual initiation to really become a Dalang and so had to go to a number of Holy Springs. Yeah, what are the
1: rituals around being a Dalang and then the Gamalang Sure. Itself, or the Wayang itself? <laughs>
0: Sure. There's a number of rituals because a dalang in Balinese society is also considered a type of priest. And not only is the wayang important to ritual, as I said, but a dalang is able to make holy water, which is a necessary element in Balinese religion. And so to really be a puppeteer, you also have to go through a number of rituals. One was to go to a number of Holy Springs. I was born on a Friday, so it was decided I needed to go to nine Holy Springs. And then also another ceremony is to become married to the puppets. And there's food elements as part of that ceremony, which I think Emphasizes how important um, the tongue is and it, is speaking it, is. Is
1: it kind of all the puppets in particular, or is it one particular puppet that you're associated with, or is it like all of them so, collectively?
0: No, it wasn't all the puppets. A full collection of Wayang is is several hundred puppets, so that would be that would be quite the ceremony. Yeah, right. <laughs> but rather, it's a couple of the important characters: um, Twalen, Merda, who are two of the important clown characters, and Arjuna from um, the Mahabharata, and then my Kayon and puppet. Uh, were the ones used for the ceremony, and they stand in as sort of the representatives for the entire collection as well. Um, okay. But it's it's interesting when I write about the ceremonies, and I think this in Bali, religion constantly is changing as well, and depending on different people's interpretation, and I really wanted to, make it clear that I'm sort of speaking from my own experiences and my own interpretations of these events. But I feel like there are probably many correct experiences and many correct interpretations.
1: So the um, part of the, so your initiation or, or being, being able to perform um, and you, and you know, part of your work focuses on this, that, that it's pretty unique for women to be, uh, not completely outside of the the realm, but uh, how many how many um, percentage of w- women are, are kind of ordained as as dalang?
0: Very very few. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 1970s, as kind of a push to show equality, uh, there was a push to, to make women perform different performing arts that had been men only, and one of those was wayang kulit, and this became um, uh, it. Pak Sumandi was teaching at uh, the UCLA summer program and had women students in his Wayang class. And at first he was sort of upset about this because (laughs) women weren't allowed to, to even touch the puppets. But, of course, it's a U.S. university which has to guarantee gender equality and access to to education. So he went back to Bali wanting to prove that if American women could So he could had good experiences I, in that. Yes, in I, that, I guess yeah, they yeah. did pretty good. Yeah, okay, good job. <laughs> so, but if American women could do it, of course, he wanted to show that Balinese women were just as good and were able to do it. And so he was able to convince his niece, uh, uh, Trijata, in, to come and learn. At first, she was very, very hesitant when I interviewed her uh, because women. She was worried it wasn't okay for her to touch the puppets. Women normally don't even go to see the performances. But then uh, she started performing. A few others also went and um, trained and, and gave performances. And because they gave performances both in ritual context as well as secular contexts, um, it's clear that they also had to undergo the ritual initiation for that to be appropriate for them to do. Although in the end, there is not an ongoing tradition of women dalang performing in Bali. And I think... It's because it still remains um, one of the most important types of performing art forms, and' it's, it's just not considered appropriate. Also, it happens late at night. Uh, women usually are at home with children and are not out late at night.
1: and And in, and in the arts and, and, and JC speak up as well, that women are are probably more traditionally gravitating towards towards dance mm-hmm. and towards uh, the musician' side. Is that, is that um, right?
2: For the dance, I think it is, is uh, especially, especially in yeah. Bali. Um, music in gamelan music in. In Bali, it's uh, also the case of uh, male-dominated. Um, they just started, uh, like, all girls gamelan group in the '90s, as also as a result of uh, like American influence. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. we, yeah. they constantly have American scholars who can visit and wanted to learn to play gamelan, and so the the male directors um, or the male leaders of the gamelan groups they somehow get inspired. They say, "Well, American women can do that." We should encourage our girls to do this, and mm-hmm. that's how they started uh, girls gamelan uh, group. But but uh, just like what Jennifer said, it's really not a norm for girls to continue to play gamelong, like because of the um, gender specific role they ha- they are aside, You know, they really are more into like caring for their their siblings, mm-hmm. helping with house chores, and then during their spare time, they just want to. Do dance together with their peers. That's it. And having having them sit down like the boys um, to to learn to play gamelan, it's probably something really really odd. They could do it to prove that they can do it, but like, do they feel like doing it? No, mm-hmm, no. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the kind of thing. And and I think sometimes. Uh, uh, Cultural outsiders um, with some particular concept uh, in mind, wanting wanting um, to empower girls, uh, would want to like force that to happen in in their society. And you know, they would think, oh, you know, girls should be empowered. They should learn whatever their boys are uh, the counterpart. Um, do um so that they will have the uh the equal opportunity but sometimes i feel like it's so probably is it not is it a
1: political statement in bali or or a or a, <laughs> a, a statement of gender equality uh, um ex- ex- explicitly or does that come after like how, does, how would you uh code that
0: well i think the indonesia constitution guarantees gender equality, equality in the way okay. that like the us constitution does not so a lot of those Initiatives initially started with with the government and the arts university being a part of that government. Um, where in Bali, gender is really conceived as, as complementary, um, with women having very specific roles in contrast to men who have very specific roles. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes in kind of conflict with those roles, um, for women to be doing some of these activities. Mm -hmm. And it also, it becomes one more activity. There's very few cases where men are then taking up some of the slack, perhaps, to allow women the space and time, for example, much of the ritual activities um, are happen because women do them. Women are the ones who have to make the offerings, um, for daily offerings, for example, and put those out. Mm-hmm.
1: Food, etc. Yeah. Um, yeah. uh, of course, maybe uh, for our uh, more advanced listeners, you might be thinking, like, how does this compare to the women's access to sort of Javanese spaces? Um, they're they're similar in in. Uh, Wayang or performance?
0: It's not my research area, but I do know that there's a lot more women Dalang in in Javanese Wayang. And part of that is because it's within um, a Muslim context, so Wayang functions more secularly than it does in Bali. I think Right, it's that not a religious right. prohibition. Mm-hmm. No. no, so it opens yeah. up the possibility mm-hmm. for women to perform the art form in a way that perhaps doesn't happen in Bali. And I kind of think some of the criticism of women dalang would be more similar to uh, women or girls playing American football um, okay. as this is not really something appropriate that girls should be doing as opposed to it being a very strong religious prohibition. Mm-hmm
1: the the uh some of the I mean, speaking of the sort of religious aspect um it's more than just a you know a beautiful performing art there's also um there are supernatural components mm-hmm. that are that are held very very sacred and dear um maybe say a bit about how are the puppets puppets powerful objects
0: sure the puppets themselves are considered sacred objects and they're imbued with that power through the ceremony of being married um to the dalang And after that, um, there are prohibitions about who can touch them. Uh, The older the puppet is, the more spiritual power or Mm kasutian that it has – For example, my teacher, uh, Pak Tunjung, was giving a performance for a family uh, for Tumbak Wayang. Tumbak Wayang is uh, the puppet's birthday, essentially, and every year on Tumpak Wayang, they're uh, they're honored with offerings, and it's considered very bad luck for a person to be born on Tumpak Wayang. I mean, that's supposed to be the puppet's birthday, not a person's birthday. So they have to have certain types of Ceremonies or rituals, uh, as part of that, in order to sort of ask forgiveness, so that they don't have terrible misfortune for be, for, for being born on yes, the puppet's for birthday. being born on the puppet's birthday. So so beware, don't be born on the puppet's birthday. Okay, I'll
1: check my calendar. Yes, I'm nervous.
0: So anyways, we were at a performance for Tumpak Wayang um, as, as one of these ceremonies for someone who had been born on that day. And the family had a puppet in their their family temple, and it had been, they said, it had been in the family for generations, and they wanted that puppet to be part of the performance. Pak Tunjung said when he held on to that puppet, it sent power through his body like like a lightning bolt almost and he could tell that it was so powerful so he didn't want to perform with it Um, he just set it on the side of the screen and had it there as part of the performance but he didn't have to touch it. Also another example of of how the puppets are, are powerful is that Park Tunjung keeps his puppets in, like, a special room. Uh, They're in a special box that's important to them. And sometimes people will pay money to just sit by the puppets. Uh, They don't have money, perhaps, to be able to sponsor a puppet performance, but they want to be able to sit there and... um, be exposed to Just like the healing, yeah, yeah, of the the puppets is healing and powerful. And during a performance, they use coconut oil in the oil lamp. And after the performance, people ask for that oil because if you have arthritis or some other uh, a sickness, rubbing the oil on your body can be considered to have lots of healing powers.
1: Are there? Are there? Is there dark magic associated with the puppets as well?
0: There can be. Um, there's dangers, perhaps, of dark magic uh, uh, entering the performance area. Pak Tunjung Jung gave me, and for anyone who can come see the performance on Friday, you'll see these. They're two puppets that are like trees, and they have monkeys in them. But Pak Tunjung said that those were two puppets that had come from his grandfather, so they were very old and very powerful, and that I should always have them on the other sides of my screens in order to keep my performance space safe from different types of black Oh, magic. so they were, like, warding off.
1: Yeah, oh, so they're there to,
0: to keep me safe. Um, another story he had told me is Chola uh, Naurang is a important ritual performance in Bali that involves... Uh, the barong and rangda. It's all night. There's trance. There's there's people stabbing themselves with daggers. It's a very very intense performance. And there's a Wayang Kulit version of this. And Pak Tunjung said he had a friend who had decided to perform Wayang Cholono before he was really ready. And after the performance, his his legs and arms turned like black and he couldn't move and he had to stay in the hospital for for several months to recover from from having wow. done that performance so it's not just um spiritual dangers but they're seen as very real physical dangers and
1: and some of this goes back to certainly the the sort of the um epic and mythic um uh, sources we think of the you know the Indian ep- mahabharata mm-hmm. the ramayana um and you know, there's there's a lot of material there. Maybe in terms of, are there ways in which those epics might might curtail women? Like it, the, the sort of are they gen- how are those gendered, and how does that inform the way it makes it the the makes it into the performance of wayang?
0: Sure. Um, so the Mahabharata and Ramayana are, are epics from India. Uh, there's a lot of aspects of Balinese religion that is very similar um, to Hinduism in India. There's also a lot of elements of Buddhism and also a lot of elements of, of animism or, or spiritual practices that are unique to Bali. I've had friends who are from India who have commented on how completely different Hinduism is in Bali with comparison to Hinduism in in India, but especially the stories that are told in Wayang from the Mahabharata and Ramayana really focus on the male characters. And I mean, in their warrior epics, of, of similar to like the Odyssey yeah. or the Iliad, where there are important and powerful female characters, but that's, that's not the focus, and so one of the, the, the reasons I believe that also women have a hard time with performance is that all of the characters are male, and for a performance to be considered good or for a dalong to, to perform well, it's thought that there needs to be a real uh, cohesion with the characters. They talk about it as minyatu or becoming one with the puppets, Mm -hmm. and I can speak to this from my own experience, that when you're performing, it's really, the focus is on the puppet, and, um, and you feel singular with that character. Um, I've never, as I've jumped from character to character, I don't, have a problem of mixing the voices and I think part of it is just the feeling of, of oneness with the characters so a puppeteer needs to be able to feel that and it's thought it's harder for women to feel that with the male characters um, because they're so completely different and so that's a real obstacle in performance and also and they if, and
1: they the, these the the for the listener the, the yeah. these puppets have um, they have different voices, and they have different. It's a whole. Um, yes. Think of like a like a old time radio kind of, you know, their the sound and and you know, right? It's a, it's quite a production.
0: Yeah, the puppets have completely different voices. Right,
1: characters, personalities, and so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so so it's it's thought that um, uh, I guess I and am I'm, I'm assuming women have pushed back a little. Like why why is it because they're saying well they don't have deep registers or what what's the what's the reply given about why
0: yeah that women don't have the deep husky type voices in order to do that um I had talked about in my talk, um, I studied, my MFA is from uh, University of Hawaii, which has a really unique program in Asian performance. As part of the program, they bring over master teachers of different genres of Asian, styles of Asian performance. We learn the performances even in the original languages and the physicality, and then translate that into English. And for, I have a round face, um... For a woman, probably a little bit larger in stature, I often played male characters. And so I'd already had three years of practice of doing these deep male voices and copying uh, all these strange sounds. So when I started learning Wayang, I was both very comfortable and adept at doing that already, where... I don't know. You can imagine anyone who's asked to start making strange voices that that takes a while to get comfortable with. So, I think for women, it it is harder to do the male voices, um, and it the Balinese say that for the men, they're not as comfortable doing the female voices.
1: Yeah, so that's a do. You, do you find JC? You've you've done a lot of music teaching, or like do do your students? Um do they bring their own sort of gendered ideas about to, to the to the performance and the selections they're making about?
2: That's a very fascinating question. Actually, um, just recently, I've been I've been thinking about this. So there was one conversation I had with my colleague who is a marching band director. He said that there was one time he was uh, guest conducting a marching band in um, some California city and where there are a lot of uh, Chinese uh, um, people Mm -hmm. there. So there was this tuba player who couldn't make it. And so he then, without knowing too much about the the culture and the community, he then assigned a Chinese-American girl to play tuba. That's a disaster. (laughs) The girl (laughs) cried immediately. And and then so th- her own uh, music teacher asked why why are you crying and then she she started to say no my parents will not be happy if I play tuba mm. so so there is this gender gender stereotyping gender idea of like in, in terms of like what kind of uh,
1: uh, it should be the flute or the violin or.
2: You got it, yeah. So so with that kind of thing it actually comes with the culture. <laughs> like within the culture, mm-hmm. what what yeah. what has been, been um what it's uh, prescribed already, it, it's so hard to break it through.
0: Well, I think in US culture we have a, a culture where girls can feel much more comfortable in a wide range of gender expressions mm-hmm. where if you imagine perhaps asking a 12-year-old boy to put on a pink tutu and heels, well, he might cry mm-hmm. um, and feel right. um, very censured to do that. And I'm, I'm happy to say I think things are changing more and more, but um, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't make light of, of how gender norms in a society prescribe a behavior that you're comfortable with and how both being outside of Balinese society and my own experiences, just having done theater since I was a kid, that I came with a comfort level of being able to break those norms and without those, I didn't have those same rules. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I, was
1: ju- I was just going to ask, like, as an outsider, um, what, what were you able to kind of, you know, quote, get away with um, uh, or transgress more than um, maybe a, a Balinese woman may have felt comfortable mm-hmm. Uh, Doing so?
0: I think one thing that seems very simple is the dalong sits cross legged, and in your right toes, you hold a little wood hammer that you then use to hit the puppet box with to make percussion as part of the performance. in Bali, women tend to sit kneeling, especially when they're dressed uh, for for temple ceremony and Dat. And also, um, a woman's sarong is very tightly wrapped, and so it's it's even much more difficult yeah, to I was gonna sit think, cross-legged. You mention,
1: so you you had to wear you probably had to dress differently to be able to
0: actually um, and. My puppet teacher had discussed this to some length about what I should wear as a dalong <laughs> because if I'm at a temple ceremony, it's appropriate that I wear pakiana dot, which is the traditional clothes, a sarong, a lace kabaya, and, um, a, okay. and a tied around mm-hmm. my waist as well, where men wear a differently tied sarong. There's an over fabric. They wear like a more colored shirt. And then they also have an udang or, or, or a little hat on their head. And he thought... Well, maybe I should mix and match, or maybe wear women's clothes, but also have an udong. And eventually, it was I just wore regular women's paekyeon dot. Um, and so, gender and wearing the proper gendered attire became more important than wearing the clothes of the role or the dalang that mm-hmm. I that I was being as well. But it was it was interesting that it required some discussion and thinking through as to what would be appropriate. Mm-hmm.
1: GC, what were your experiences in? So you're you're both. You know, not Indonesian, um, uh, but also not like sort of, you know, American. Uh, white American. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what w- did you have a, a similar, t- different kinds of um, expectations put on you?
2: Uh, I think my, my experience is a lot uh, easier because I just pretty much follow what I do as a female educator. I don't try to cross border, uh, so, like uh, what uh, Jennifer has uh, done in her career. Um, so, I mean, they actually take me a lot more toward like themselves. We Asian people, mm. they don't really consider yeah. my, me uh, too much of as an American. Uh, what's very interesting is that I usually uh, would be it would be me bringing a group of American students with me, and so they uh, my host. They will actually uh, take me as part of them. And then they will say, Oh, your students, they are like whatever, <laughs> you know, the right. Americans, they are like whatever. And so, so I found that very, very interesting. Um, um yeah, so I I think um that doesn't really um give me any like I, I, I guess I just don't have any um like spatial expectation uh from them. Like I what I have to do, um, just so they can they can take me, uh, they can accept me better. Or it, it feels like they naturally just take me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I mean, there's a long tradition of foreigners learning performing arts um, and studying in Bali. So it's not something strange or new uh, for someone to be doing. Yeah. I know that dance and and topeng, the the mass mm-hmm. drama and gamelan, are more commonly done. Than than Wayang, but it's still within a really larger context of, of internationalism that's already happening in Bali. And,
1: and you know, at, at, at,
0: like
1: historians think about, like there's no place on the planet that for longer than what what we call sort of globalization that has been uh, at the center, at the at the crossroads, as it were, of mm-hmm. of of. Cultures coming in and out, and they're exper- they're very adept at like the the. It's very natural for them to see people who are constantly different from them to kind of be interested and see that as a value added. And mm-hmm. and there's there's lots of like um, freedom, like oh yeah, so they have different customs, they have different traditions, and so they're not going to panic if someone doesn't do everything. They're they're it's sort of uh, um, you know asset based grading. Anything you do well, they're they're mm-hmm. super happy to to applaud you for your for your for your Indonesian or for your what you know. Mm-hmm. In, instead of like um, starting at a hundred and grading you down for everything you do wrong, they mm-hmm. sort of is th- that is that your experience as well. They're just so excited about people who were mm-hmm. who were interested and in, you know serious about.
0: Yeah, and I do think that there is a real prestige factor um, for Balinese having foreign students, of having opportunities to travel abroad. I was able to take... uh, uh, Park Tunjung and several of his musicians. Um, we went and performed at the UNIMA, which is the International Puppet Association, was having a uh, festival in China, and so he was able to travel with me and perform cool. with me. So I think it's important to try and make those those opportunities, or to, for there to be repro- reciprocity in in these type in in. Th- the arts and, and friendships that we are lucky to have. But yeah, I do think that there's there's a real enthusiasm, um, for sharing arts and culture.
1: Well, as, as, as Jennifer and I are discussing there's there's no, there's no, uh, comparison, uh, other than actually seeing Wayang in person and to, and to experience it. Um, but, uh, um, do you want to, do you have a, a clip there, Jennifer? Let, let's listen to, we're listening to the Kotekan the kind of balanced part of This would be something that would be played during um, during wine. Is that right? We can
0: well. It 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 demonstrates one of the. I think one of the principles of the aesthetics of it uh, it's a it's a Kota example um, actually with uh, gamelan instruments not with with the gendere but it's it's similar in sound to the type of, of music that would accompany a wayang but what I think is really useful in this is so so balance and liveness are two really important aesthetics in a performance so I'll let you listen and then I'll I'll describe how there is balance and liveness in okay. this Okay, so there's two different things. As I said, there's balance, and part of that is there's not a melody or a harmony. Um, And, Jason, you can probably talk better about the music than I can, but that they're rather working interlocking and and together and supporting each other.
1: So there's a team of performers here? There's two people? Mm -hmm.
0: For this example, there's two people in um, Balinese Wayang. They use uh, Gender, which is an ensemble of four instruments. But there's also liveness. um, They're both in tune and a little bit out of tune with each other, which creates almost like a a shimmering type of sound. Um, And in the puppets, of course, that's uh, expressed through the movement of the puppets. And I think that's why that Wayang and Bali uses fire. I never thought about that, but it kind Mm -hmm. of like it tries
1: to imitate... yeah,
0: yeah, they're never still or static. That's one thing that makes me sad. When I perform in the United States, of course, I have to use electric light in order to, to confirm to to the fire code, but that you <laughs> you lose that, that sort of liveness or, or constant movement of the puppets. That's really, really magical. But there's also that sense in the the voice of the Dalang. It's called suwara oh. nacha, which means, um, breaking, and um, it can be heard in especially the opening incantation. If it's okay if I do a little bit of it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Dario mm-hmm. tapio! and it's it's like a pushing type sound that happens. to Taparo Charitaan Um, and so that's considered a really desirable aesthetic. Although uh, any any voice teachers out there maybe maybe cringing from hearing the voice pushed like that, but that, lots of
1: like rise and fall and crescendo. Yes. It really is very like expressive.
0: It's really dynamic, and um, it's it's the opening incantation that sort of invites the gods to the performances and calls the performance space. Into being, and also will describe a little bit of of what story is going to be performed. But um, audience members will listen to that and make a judgment as to whether they want to stay for the performance or not. That's one of the the key differences, I think, between Javanese and Balinese Wayang is the the voice is really the key part in Bali, where in Java, uh, the movement of the puppets is so much... um, it's it's so much more lyrical, and and the emphasis is really on that movement of the puppets in a very different way.
1: JC, any thoughts on the music here?
2: Uh, the music. Are you t- talking about the musical uh, accompaniment? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, in in Javanese wayang kulit, they use the entire gamelan. Mm-hmm. Um, Japanese Japanese gamelan set to perform, and I think the idea of it is uh, that the Japanese gamelan, uh, Javanese wayang, they seldom move around, but like in Bali, the gamelan, the wayang troop they actually it's it's quite mobile. So when it ha- it has to be mobile. You just can't carry along with you that many mm-hmm. instruments. If um, the audience do not know uh, what gamelan is, gamelan is heavy metal. Very very heavy. <laughs> it takes a lot. <laughs> takes a lot to move the instrument, and so so that 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 makes the uh, the first uh, and foremost difference um, in in the musical accompaniment part of it.
1: So would you say there's more people coming to. Uh, the 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 gamelan space as a, and maybe in 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 the balinese it's it's it, it's it's more mobile it goes out to yeah yeah um
2: yeah the the talang in bali they usually would take cases and then mm-hmm. they would like ride their autobike back yeah. in the 70s and then <laughs> <laughs> they were like,
0: we would usually get into a small truck so mm-hmm. the um the assistants <laughs> and the musicians would ride in back with the puppets and the okay. screen mm-hmm. and the the gendèr and um, you know, we would travel an hour, sometimes two, to the performance location.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow,
1: good production. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, but I guess it shows it's it's a it's a it's a desirable. And do people people commission it for um what kind of what kind of instances would an individual um, want to commission uh, a performance?
0: Sure. Sometimes they would um, commission it for an odalan, which is sort of uh, mm-hmm. a temple, a village temple's birthday celebration. Um, so the the village would commission it, or perhaps someone was having a teeth filing ceremony or a cremation ceremony. Mm-hmm. They would. There's a lot of different ceremonies that happened to mark different stages in people's lives. <laughs> Are
1: those? Might say, what is a teeth filing ceremony? T- uh. What is that?
0: Yeah. <laughs> so uh, usually it would ideally happen in adolescents. Uh, but uh, Balinese, if you look, they have the most perfect teeth. But part of it is because they t- file down um, what would be our canines uh, in order to make the teeth really even and and less like animals. Mm-hmm. So that's a, an important kind of passage into adulthood. And for that ceremony, uh, a village or the family would invite and have a Wayang Kulit performance.
1: Okay. So, mm-hmm. so they're and and obviously that that costs money and so there's yes. that that would hence people who might only be able to afford sitting next to the puppet as opposed to
0: yes yes or I've um I once went to uh, a ceremony a family was having so after a baby is born I think it's at sixty days is when they're allowed to touch the ground for the first time and it was a poorer family so for the ceremony they actually had had hired one gendair player to be able to play some music because okay. they couldn't <laughs> afford a Wyong.
1: Something covering their bases. Yes. Um, so for for people who are interested in in finding out, uh, maybe let's uh, let's uh, let's move some paper. Let's plug your your. Your publications, Jennifer. Sure,
0: I would be delighted if um, I my book, uh, Women in the Shadows: Gender, Puppets, and the Power of Tradition in Bali. It's a it's a reflexive ethnography that really traces my own experience um, and includes the interviews with other women dalang. Um, but to hopefully give a really engaging yet scholarly uh, take on on women and um, wayang in Bali, uh, it's published through Ohio University Press, uh, 2007. 16. And I'm really excited to have worked with them partially because they make sure that their monographs are really affordable and accessible to other people. Um, I've also published another book called Puppets and Cities, Articulating Identities um, in Southeast Asia. And that's about uh, different puppet traditions around Southeast Asia. Uh, The book partially came from a desire to want to travel and experience other places. But it's really astounding the dynamic puppet traditions uh, and contemporary performances that are happening all over the region. So um, that one came out in 2018 by Bloomsbury Methane and um, also is, is affordable. So I, I would love to, for anyone to to read those. I also love to continue to performing as a way of sharing the art, of, of learning more. It's, it's a really engaging way. I mean, my dream would be is that perhaps another um, person or child will see it and, like I did, think that's the most amazing thing ever. And realize that they need to learn more about this interesting art form, but also the culture and history uh, that surrounds it.
1: Yeah. Any other Any other advice? G- I was going to say, you know, uh, get on your YouTube and type in Wayang W A Y A N G um, and uh, Bali. Kulit. Uh, yeah. Kulit, Kulit Yeah. K U L I T, and you'll get uh, um, y- y- it's visually so uh, um, resting. Uh, Maybe you have some more specialized troops that you like that you want to point people to, mm-hmm. or, or what was yeah. the school you went to in Bali? You were at the. Uh,
2: uh, we we actually were in a small village. Uh, we studied in a sangha. So oh, nice. Sangha is actually mm-hmm. a very very interesting concept. Um, in Indonesia, that is, if we translated it, it means uh, studio. But it's actually more than a studio. It's like a local like arts club, community. Yeah, community-based art program. And um, nice. so we, we we just went to that particular sangha where they offer offer uh, lessons um, to foreigners, and uh, and they the local kids they actually will come and help, and uh, they will dance with us. They will uh, play. Music with us, and so we hang out with the local kids, and so that I think that's the best way to immerse ourselves if we if we really want want to 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 mm-hmm. experience their culture. Mm. Yeah,
1: yep. I guess uh, l- you could look at you know, there's, uh, Wayang in in larger cities where there are Indonesian populations. Often there's can be a performance going on. Um, I'll also get to Indonesia, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and 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 check it out. There's nothing like uh, being at these almost seemingly all night performances, um, uh, going on. Uh, yeah. And I want to put down in the, on our, on our aspirational notes, JC, uh, outdoor performance, uh, for, for Jennifer, we get the, we get the oil lamp. Uh, we get the real deal. Um, and,
0: uh, I own a an oil lamp. See, they're okay. We're, we're
1: halfway there. Um, well, uh, will you uh, come again? Don't be a stranger, Jennifer.
0: Yes, thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thanks, J.C., and we'll talk again soon.
0: Thank you. Thank you. you. Bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Southeast Asia Crossroads. We would like to give thanks to Tantra Kun for the use of his track, Electric Can, and a thanks to our audio producer, Amir. Thank you for joining us and we hope you tune in next time.